We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And last night, the Lakers gave the New Orleans Pelicans an absolute beatdown by 44 points in Las Vegas, although we will not be putting that in our Twitter bio. And it was something, a 30-29 to 29 game after one quarter. And by the end of the third, it was just not a game anymore. Uh, one of the more impressive performances of the season. Lakers win 133-89. to LeBron James becomes the first player in NBA history to go for 30 points, five rebounds, and five assists plus in under 23 minutes. The Lakers' defense was suffocating. Mike, this was a game that Darius and I previewed yesterday, and we were super curious about it was kind of like these similar-ish type of teams. And one thing that happens uh, sometimes when similar-ish type of teams play each other is the one that's better, like really kicks the other team's butt if they're on a, a different tier because the other team doesn't have a pitch to go to, a different pitch to go to, and the original team is better at that thing. And I thought that was something that we saw yesterday. You were there, a super cool vibe, man. I love the lighting of all of that. Tell us your observations from uh, from Las Vegas, both before the game and during. Yeah, it was. It felt like a playoff game, but mixed with an All Star game, just because of the with the whole NBA apparatus, mm-hmm. and and so. But then the All Star game part kind of dissipated uh, once you saw, especially how LeBron came out of the gates. And I think the Lakers did so much well, and I'm sure that we'll discuss this as the pod goes on and the swarming defense and all of that. But it's hard to start anywhere else other than just the it might be the best half for sure that I've seen LeBron play. And then and that was like that was before he did what he did in the third quarter. Um, and I, I looked up when he went to the bench and uh, Dan Wojcicki, the L.A. Times was sitting next to me and we were like, wait, he only played 22 minutes. And to mm-hmm. do that, to get to his 30 points and uh, the eight assists and zero turnovers. And then so start start looking it up. Like, has any player ever done that in 22 minutes? And and the 30 points with eight assists, actually one player had done it, but not uh, that player was not at a plus 36, uh, right? <laughs> which was what he ends up being. So um, I thought D'Lo actually had the best quote 
after the game uh, on it. And what did he say? Uh, let's see. It's impressive to watch him just turn it into another gear in these big games. Honestly, he can shoot it better. He's faster. He's more athletic. He's not getting tired. I just don't understand. <laughs> so, so he closed it like it. <laughs> so it really doesn't make sense that he'd be able to elevate. Um, and I, the only the other thing to before I throw up to you guys, I asked Davis about it, and I do think that all of the playoff experience of the past. LeBron and AD entered the game and especially LeBron like playing like elevating the stakes of it. And I think that New Orleans was able to um to match energy for a little bit, but eventually it just kind of broke them. Um and they were like mm-hmm. what what are we supposed to do? And, and I think it was the the back to back to back threes uh to start the second quarter um where you kind of I was looking I was sitting closer to the New Orleans bench in my media seat and I was just looking over there and just kind of seeing their faces like and you know what what is what is happening here and so that that belies a lot of other things that happen in the game but it just a a completely unprecedented remarkable performance for lebron year 21 Uh, and that's you know that's what led the way i thought he was masterful and just setting the tone mike and i were sort of chatting offline yesterday as i was pulling the preview together because i was talking about the some of the comments that the players were making in the lead up to the game. Mike was talking about the NBA apparatus. And part of that is like league hosted media sessions that are like streaming on like the NBA app and all of this mm-hmm. other stuff. Listening to AD talk and and like they, they asked AD some about the money and like the and the incentive that comes from that, but just the overall general competitive field. And AD gave, I thought, a really good answer around some of that stuff. And then Mike actually asked LeBron, what is your message to like the team going into a game like this? And LeBron basically just downplayed everything. He's like, oh, it's, you know, it's December. It's the 23rd game of the season. We're just treating it like another game. We're obviously going to prepare. We know it's like we know the stakes because of the, the IST basically. But, but, but. And he did similar stuff post game, last game. But I thought Candace Parker said it best during the telecast where she was just like yeah lebron's talking uh-huh. like lowering expectations but then he's going out there to kill like he came in so focused and with such a direct idea of we're going to control this game and i thought your framing of it pete of like sort of two fastball like fastball pitchers or mm-hmm. a fastball pitcher and a fastball hitter on both sides mm-hmm. of the ball and all right well like whose fastball is better or two power punchers sort of squaring off in the center yep. of the ring for boxing and one of those guys was much better at this specific thing and it goes back to Anthony Davis I think like we talked about LeBron and LeBron was great setting the tone overall and I thought what LeBron was doing defensively against Zion was super important yeah. but I'd love to kick it to you, Pete, on this idea of what Anthony Davis is doing like defensively and what the Lakers are starting to do defensively because for all of the like, oh, multiple three-pointers and the Lakers 50% from three or whatever they shot and LeBron's like inspired um, trio of three-pointers. Like, charges. The mm-hmm. Pelicans scored 80-something points. Yeah, The Lakers' defense has been on one since they started to get their guys back. And I thought this was as masterful a defensive performance as you're going to find from a Lakers team that sort of like 
if it was the Spider-Man meme of like, look at us, we're the same. The Lakers are just like, yeah, well, we know how to stop that because we have right. Anthony Davis back here. And I just thought it was a great defensive performance. It, it's funny. So much of the good things I have to say on the defensive end are about players other than Anthony Davis, but Anthony Davis sure. is the player that makes it possible, right? It's almost like the the spoke of a wheel where everything kind of leads back to them. I thought Torian Prince did a fantastic job on Brandon Ingram, which I was not expecting. Cam had another good game against a smaller guard in CJ McCollum. And it was we were talking a little bit before the pod started about how there's a level of pressure on players that you apply that pressure and then you funnel them toward Anthony Davis and life gets extremely difficult. And then what ends up happening is those players start hearing footsteps and they start rushing. LeBron took the three charges as well, right? Like this is another element of being able to cover ground and get in front of guys, right? Um, and and so that amount of perimeter pressure that is able to be exerted and then funneled into Anthony Davis – Teams start feeling the pressure of that even on plays that don't necessarily force turnovers, right? And so that's always fun. You force a turnover, you get out into transition or AD gets a big block or something like that. But really, it's the plays where like CJ McCollum takes that 18-footer just a little bit faster and it's back-rimmed, right? That you start to see a team really kind of fall apart. And that's been one thing that we've seen the Lakers defense do to several offenses so far. And I was curious on this one, Mike, because New Orleans is a similar battering ram type of team. They're not a great shooting team, but they've got some guys that can really get to the hoop. And the Lakers not only matched that, but they really sent them packing in the other direction. And by that third quarter, you could see it was a combination of the offensive performance from LeBron, but also on the other end, the things that usually work for them were not working and they didn't really have much of a, a plan B, Mike. And so to see the Lakers take on a big physical team like that and just kick the crap out of them and protect the rim while doing that, I think portends really well going forward. Yeah, the place that I start in that first quarter and, and of course, Pete, everything in the Lakers defense literally starts with AD, but the play, like the thing that was different about what a, a typical game that you're going to watch the Lakers do is that, you know, LeBron the level of energy and focus that he was spending on the little things to start. Cause he, if you look at, he took, I think only, was it one shot in the first or like one or two shots in the first quarter? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He okay. had like three points and AD had four or vice versa, but it was a very low scoring quarter from them. Um, yeah. So, so let's see. Yeah. He took one shot uh, in the first quarter and that's it. But he took his first charge on Zion. Um, then he took two more charges in the as the half went on another including another one on Zion and he was guarding Zion like even though he was locked in he was sagging so far off of him that Zion was just like well what what am I supposed to do and because usually if somebody sagged off of Zion he's still comfortable just getting downhill and taking them all the way to the rim and taking a little sidestep but he and when he tried that on LeBron that's when he got the first charge and so that I felt like that broke part of what New Orleans wanted to do. And it also let it let everybody else know the level of engagement to have. And that's kind of portends to Russell's comments where, OK, if AD's always doing this a certain way, but if LeBron's doing it. And to me, that's the difference between, you know, this being a close to a playoff game in, in the field and that it had and what the next regular season is going to be. Um, because for and this is where year 21, LeBron, you're it's just absurd to get that on defense every night but there are other things about the defense that are sustainable and i do think lebron typically will will go into at least closer to that mode by the fourth quarter but 
I just I that's I did want to point out that like LeBron playing at that level it ultimately I think you can get closer to that in the playoffs but it's not going to be like that the whole regular season because uh, the, the load that that takes like his 22 minutes even though as low as they were were felt more like 30 something plus minutes just because of the sheer nature or like the physical toll that he was doing on both ends uh, was incredible. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. With Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketplace platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. It's okay if you don't know much about marketing. Constant Contact's writing assistant tools and automation features help you craft messaging and say the right things at the right time. I use this to help write and send my email newsletters, and you should too. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. One of the things I've been thinking about, Pete, is like the ability of the Lakers perimeter guys to guard down and the general size that they have and that they're bringing to, to the equation. We were talking a little bit about this before we started to record, but Prince is sort of a same size defender guy. He really likes sort of like long and angular players the same way that, that he's built. Just like you said, I was not expecting him to be as good on Ingram as, as he was, but it sort of makes sense that he, that that's the sort of guy, because those are the sorts of dudes that, that he matches up well against. But the thing that's coming into focus for me is Cam and Max Christie and Jared Vanderbilt fits into this too as guys who are big aggressive athletes who are not overwhelmed by guys who are super quick or shifty or crafty and those guards ability to defend down or those wings ability to defend down has been super helpful for the Lakers like we think about the matchup with Houston it was like Cam and Max picking up Fred Van Vliet, for example. And then you look at this last game, and it was Cam, again, defending C.J. McCollum. And then it's guys like Cam and Vanderbilt spending time on Devin Booker. And Devin Booker's not a smaller guard, but you understand it's just like these guys are bigger 
and they are able to defend guys who were smaller than them and do it very effectively. And when you back that up with Anthony Davis, it's like it's a great synergy that I think the Lakers are just tapping into now, but you could already see the great potential that this has. So Pete, there's, there's a quick Darvin Ham quote on this. Cause I asked him something close to what Darius was just getting at. And he said, we have a lot of long athletic wings and players where we can switch randomly. We can switch deliberately. AD is a huge, huge factor in backing up and anchoring the back line of our defense. And it allows everybody to just play free and be aggressive. So that, that, all of the stuff that they're doing and, and when you can when you can not have to worry about if you do make a mistake by pressing up so far, um, then I, I just don't think most teams have a chance to play like that unless they have somebody who at least approximates Anthony Davis. And by the way, that isn't just a center who's big and huge like Valencia Yunus can't do that. You know, so it's it's got to be a particularly mobile um, type of big also. Um, who can it, it, and it, this is this is where I feel like I'm every pod I'm about to get into an AD rant um, based on somebody not understanding. Like in this case, it was the post game show, right? Last game <laughs> about all the stuff that Boy, TNT does, yes. or all the stuff that AD does. So that, but that was that was Darvin um, d- describing it when asked about it. Yeah, I think it's important to view it through that uh, size plus foot speed matrix where if you're talking about say Cam guarding CJ McCollum, he is a significantly bigger player and he's more athletic, but he's not at a foot speed deficit to McCollum. At least if he is, it's it's very close, right? It's not something where it's a glaring type thing. So every coach would love to play bigger players, right? But if they can't keep up on the perimeter, that's something that's going to keep them off of the court. Well, Anthony Davis is the pinnacle of that type of player, just like Mike was saying that a guy like Valanciunas can't do that sort of thing, whereas it's a strength of Anthony Davis's game. And so what that allows you to do, D, about how those two parts work together. It's in that Darwin quote a little bit in that you're allowed to play up and be aggressive knowing that you have coverage behind you. If There are a lot of fix-it situations in this style of play. This was the style of defense that I coached, the very pressing, uh, you know, trapping high hands type of style. And we would call these fix-its, right? Where you're, because you're being aggressive, you're going to get beat in certain ways, fairly consistently, right? And so knowing how to react to the fix-its, there's nobody better at that than Anthony Davis, for one. Um, LeBron James is not that far behind, so when he is locked in, like he's another thing that stacks on top of this whole idea, and you'll see him jumping a lot of passing lanes that are kind of the result of two guys on the ball or one guy on the ball with high hands that forces a pass that's a little bit wider or has a little bit more arc under it that allows LeBron to that extra split second to jump the passing lane type of thing. And so also having those perimeter players having fix-it capabilities in terms of their recovery speed. As an attribute across the roster, the recovery speed on this team is nuts. And it's something that is, if you would talk about three-level scorers, we have three-level defenders as well, right? That guys that can really provide some value, whether they're a guard that can mix it up in the paint a little bit. And this is not every guard that we have. We certainly saw uh, you know, a great deal of, of that earlier in the year of what happens when there isn't a presence in that respect. But um, when you have that whole guarding down type of build where it's like, I remember I was telling you this a couple of weeks ago, D, where it was like on this team, anybody who's like a two, three in terms of their normal positionality on this team, they're a two. If they're a three, four on this team, they're more of a three. And that that isn't to say they can't ever play the other position, but it 
what you end up creating is an across the board type of build where you've got great size without sacrificing foot speed. And when you have that, you can dictate the terms to, you can make the offense do what you want them to do. And I thought last night was a great example of that. A guy I wanted to talk about explicitly here too is Jared Vanderbilt. One of the things that Vando is doing that sort of the other wings have not been doing is a, he's been rebounding well, but he's also been showing like a back line, like rim protection element and someone who is challenging mm-hmm. shots at the rim, if not getting outright blocks, just making shots harder for That's guys. That's that three that level defense, downhill. right? That guy that can be a great point of attack guy, but can absolutely low man rotate and, and be a, a nuisance. And so I just wanted to sort of point him out as like another bridge player within the context of like of the Lakers defense. And I don't think it's a coincidence, Mike, that the Lakers defense has started to show even more of this level once Vanderbilt returned. It was great to get him and Cam back at the same time, but I've been super happy with the way that Vanderbilt is playing, even if he hasn't grabbed back the full share of his rotation minutes that um, you would have anticipated he would have had before the season started. For sure. I'm now... I'm kind of thinking about where it, what it means and all that. And, and I was just discussing without getting into detail, like the way that, you know, the post game show may have talked about Anthony Davis, but one thing that I always appreciate from guys that played for a long time and um, like where it's Reggie Miller or like sometimes Kenny or Chuck will make this kind of point, like about a team having an identity um, and, and that Darvin Ham and I have been talking about this sort of for the last couple of weeks as guys have been closer to coming back and if I like walk by him on the plane and be like, you know, well, hey, it helped to have Vanderbilt, you know, in, in back so you can kind of, you know, play a little bigger and, and start to be more oppressive defensively. And, and he's he's always kind of been like, just wait and see, you know, just wait and see. Like, this is what they talked about all offseason. It's part of what um, I know Pete was focused on uh, in the offseason and we discussed a lot. So this is this is what they want to do. Uh, and it it just it, it 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 works for a couple of obvious reasons. But I think that. Now that the players can see it working in the sense of if we play like this, um, here's what happens. Here's the result. The same thing happened to the team in 2019, 2020 that happened so quickly once AD came over. It just, it's just this realization of you can they can feel on the court why it works. Um, so yeah. that that to me is is a significant part of it. It's not just sort of like the idea of what it's going to be. And it becomes so much more important than the things that are still not super big strengths, like half court offense or uh, whatever that, because that identity. We made some threes, Mike. We made some threes last night though. Well, certainly did. And Torian Prince uh, made five of them uh, matching his season high. And and that was, that was helpful. And I mean, the bronze four or four, certainly ridiculous. Austin uh, didn't, I did feel like, did I say that in the text thread in the last game that Austin was going to finally get going from three? You did. Um, you predicted it before the last, uh, I mean, the last game. Yeah. Th- that had to happen though, right? Like Austin, Austin hadn't hit two threes in like 10 games, which is, ins- which is stupid. You know? That's part of the thing that's been odd about this team, Mike. And I think part of it is our own fault. And part of it is the, you know, when you're playing defense like this, it does have a toll on your legs. But a lot of our shooters have struggled all at once where it's like, yeah. if just a couple of these guys shoot the way they normally do, like it's going to be a really good team. And so, yeah, like I, I think there's some positive, you know, regression to the mean right. uh, that's that's possible here that we're already seeing with Prince over the last few. Darius, get in here for a thought because I, I do have a couple of uh, just in-season tournament things that I want to that I want to get uh, to relate to how this has evolved a little bit more quickly. 
I just did want to comment about Prince, and Pete and I were were talking a little bit about Prince. I was looking at Prince's numbers just now, and so last five games, he's 13 for 24 from three, so 54.2%, and he's up his season average now to 35.8% after really struggling for an extended stretch where I think through like 15 or 16 games, he was like at 29%. Well, the, he's this, caught the crazy- fire. The crazy split for him was he was like he was like forty percent in the road and in eighteen percent at home, and then and then this stretch that you just talked about it happened, Darius. So he's just shooting the ball with more comfort, and the shots just going in, and you could tell now, Pete. The thing that was concerning me with Prince when he was going through all of his struggles wasn't the shots; it wasn't just the shots that he was missing. It was the shots he was turning down. And the shots that he was like trying to then turn into drives or driving and kicking when that's not really his game. Like mm-hmm. he's a he's an attack a closeout guy for a layup, or he's a shoot the quick open three, even mm-hmm. if it's not quite open because his release is high enough and it's quick enough to get that shot off. And so I just wanted to comment on Prince that the offense and the defense have synergy and a good defense is going to propel the Lakers into better offensive yeah. chances. But we all know that the Lakers ceiling offensively is going to be predicated on what they do in the half court. And Prince is going to be an important part of yeah. that because he is one of the spot up shooters that the Lakers need to hit shots. And he's outside of the, I'm a shot creator guy. Right. It's just like, mm-hmm. OK, D'Lo, Austin, LeBron, A.D., we understand that there's a baseline level that they need need to be at. But if the Lakers end up having a night where they are like, oh, well, Torian Prince went four for six from three or he hit or he hit three of his five attempts or so, so, oh, OK, you are now making the defense pay for all of the attention that these other guys draw. And that's just an element they had been missing from the team for so long. And so it's nice to see Prince, especially, but all of these guys start start to hit yeah. threes. And you don't win a game by 40 points unless you, both your defense is doing well and your offense is just like, oh, we kicked it up a notch. And it wasn't just LeBron. It was like the role players, too, that were contributing in that regard. Very much so. And Rui had some great comments on shooting with the Lakers earlier in the year and about how it takes a little bit of time to get used to it. And one thing I noticed with Prince that he stopped doing a few games ago and his shooting has really started to pick up is – and this is something I totally it, I totally get why it happens. But when guys have historically struggled shooting threes with the Lakers, one thing I always notice is they slow their shooting stroke down when they're open on threes. So like one of the hardest shots sometimes is the one where you're – completely by yourself and you know the commentators will be like oh, he was too open on that one and what they'll do is okay I'm in a bit of a slump gotta make sure all my mechanics are right like it's a very deliberate like you can see them thinking okay my feet my knees my shooting stroke right like they're and it just goes slower and it's like bro that's not how you normally shoot beef. that's not right like and I get it what? right did you do beef? did you teach beef or is that just my uh, middle school coach and so uh, my mine uh mine was more like waiter the the waiter position and all the progression off of off okay. of that but I I am familiar with beef and shooting <laughs> is one of those things like I don't ever claim to be a shooting coach right I'm more of a general generalist type of thing but yes there's there's like five different ways of doing it. But what you don't want to do is like change how you shoot 
in ways where like if you slow it down to like 70% speed of how you normally shoot a jump shot, you're going to miss them more often because it's just not how your mechanics normally go. And he started letting them fly, D, and I think that it's been a lot more successful. Max has too. And so yes, I've noticed that Max has sped up his motion the last several games too. And I'm just like, there you go, bro. Just shoot it with confidence. Let and, it fly. And let it fly. Anyways, let's go all to right. break here. When we come yeah. back, Mike, I want to hear more of your thoughts about all the IST stuff. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, I was talking to Pete the other day and he was trying to make me acknowledge something about shooting um, and sort of brobbing <laughs> me into it. And you guys were just talking about it. And one of the points I think that I said uh, was was like the 82 game season and all of what you're just talking about with shooting. Usually that plays itself out uh, on a team where a guy like that shooting for the Lakers, like Rui said, what helps us to just have the more games come. Um, and and so I, I did feel like it was going to get there. But sure, Pete, like making shots helps. Um, there you go. Um, and they they did certainly make shots. Now, what, That's before, all I want. <laughs> before we get into the in-season uh, or sorry, into the, the Pacers preview, because I've been thinking about this matchup a lot. I, I just think that the in-season tournament has been a blessing, particularly for the Lakers, uh, in a sense that so look at their record now, six and zero um, in the in season tournament. Now those have all counted for wins, and look at where the the Lakers are now in terms of the Western Conference standings, uh, and they are in fourth place, and they're a half game out of second place. And so at fourteen and nine, take those take those wins away, or well, and actually can't do that. I don't like to, the taking the wins away thing, but the way that they. The additional level, I think, that they've played at in these, and I, again, would start with LeBron, it's, I think the whole league, to an extent, has had this, and it's been this uh, this unprecedented, just this test for teams that they weren't sure about at first, but it's grown, and now I think the guys around the league all get it, including, by the way, the G League players that I saw in the lobby last night, who now basically get, know that they get, they doubled their salary. And like I'm, I'm always been one to kind of cringe a little bit when the first thing that is mentioned is the money because you know my whole thing about competition and like that's real. You just got to play to win it. Um, but I think the money can like everybody at least can relate to that. Everybody wants to get more money um, in whatever their job is, so or wants a bonus or wants overtime or what. So like it, I, I'm acknowledging that that's part of it, but just to be able to see the league all come together and and then the way that players looked around the arena when they walked in and the trophy and like that stuff I think I thought originally was going to take a little bit of time at least until there was a champion and, and, and players got to sort of watch from home but 
The Lakers, I think, have embraced this earlier than most, and that's helped the rest of the league as well. Uh, and, and Darius, you hit on this with LeBron's comments earlier, that as much as he made those, he also, in his walk-off interview before the, after the Phoenix game, was like, if it's a battle, like, let's go, let's battle. And that's how he's played. So I just I wanted to get one last propaganda mention of all of this in and seeing it in person and being in all these arenas and being in Vegas like it's uh, it's been something that's raised the juice. And I think the Lakers needed something to raise the juice early in their season so that they couldn't just kind of get to. Yeah, but we've still got X amount more games to figure it out. And yeah, you know what? The defense will come around at some point And yeah, we'll start to make shots. It's like, no, let, let start doing that now and mm-hmm. win games and then and then use that as the season continues and i'm not sure they would have gotten there without the tournament these wins still count though right even though they didn't play any of the top whatever teams i can't remember who said something about this yesterday online and they were always hollinger's hate ness yeah it's, ah yeah. yes yes i remember now i'm glad the wins still count though you know, do they win their Lakers. Lakers? I feel like there's like we get like half credit for when Lakers play well. Yeah. Well, so let's pivot here because there's one more win to go. Yep. And and this game they doesn't play count. the Pacers. <laughs> yes, and, that's right. And if there's another team that has impressed me as much as the Lakers have within the context of the in-season tournament, it's probably been the Pacers who have looked, I think, to build on the success that they had last year as sort of their coming out party, even though that did not lead to like a postseason berth, and really came into this season looking to establish themselves as an Eastern Conference like upstart that could really start to make some noise, right? They are very well coached with Rick Carlisle, and they have a player who has made his star turn in the league. Guys, Tyrese Halliburton is a monster. And he is putting up mid-20s points. Last game, he had, I think, 27, 15 assists and no turnovers. Um, We talk about the Lakers being this team now that is using high energy and athleticism to, like, force teams into, well, into mistakes. And now they're facing one of the preeminent guards in the league this season on not making mistakes. And so what do you think? heading into this game, Pete, about this idea of what the Pacers are doing well, spacing the floor and shooting the ball and up and down and a historical offense to start the season versus a defense that is really starting to come into its own. I love the the framing that you you have on this as the guard that doesn't make mistakes against the team that's trying to force them. I think that's one of the great challenges of this game. And it's a, it's a blessing to have this in that type of environment. I, I love the point that Mike makes about like having that extra juice and getting used to playing in these types of games and the things that you can learn about yourself and, and your team going forward that it's really valuable. And so having this type of extra game against a guard like Tyrese Halliburton and a team like the Pacers who are aptly named above all else, their pace that they play with is just off the charts. That's going to be a, a challenge for this Lakers team. I think we've got the guys to be able to play that way, especially in this type of environment. But um, one of my favorite plays of last season was we kind of we sleptwalked through a, a good portion of a, a game against the Pacers and Halliburton played in that, but they were missing a couple of other guys. If I remember correctly, the Pacers were not good at that point is the point. And the, the Lakers being down in that game, they shouldn't have been. And they were down by like 15, but went on a crazy defensive run that was capped off by 
AD locking up Halliburton in space. And there was just a good two-minute stretch of us being able to to guard him. And I think this was pre-trade deadline. So it was the, the first version of the team last year. And so I'm super curious to see how that ends up. I could totally see a game that is, uh, you know, ending in that sort of way where it's Tyrese Halliburton versus Anthony Davis on the defensive end. And let's freaking go. Uh, Halliburton's one of my favorite players around the league, Mike, as a guy who was raised on Magic Johnson, a guy who can like Halliburton, who can read the floor and pass the way that he does. And he just facilitates a beautiful brand of basketball that we got to enjoy a little bit this summer when Austin was on FIBA, like him and Halliburton would come off the bench together and played a a lot of really fun minutes. And so what are your thoughts on a Pacers team that LeBron and AD last night were like, yeah, those dudes are putting up 130 and 140. We've been talking about that recently. I think the first thing that that stands out, so the Pacers – have had a murderer's row of Eastern Conference teams to get to this point. But I think that Halliburton's desire um, and therefore kind of leadership of the, of the rest of the league to get this has been a big driving force. And remember a couple of wow, really, it was like when the right when the national TV schedule went out, there was this whole thing um, in a clip that went viral about Halliburton being like, we've got one game on TNT and I know exactly when it is. And so that was something that was on his mind. Like he's he knows he's good. Oh, Team USA. He never played on TNT, Mike. Never played on TNT. He was the best point guard on uh, Team USA, um, I thought, by a long shot over Jalen Brunson. But he came off the bench with Austin, and that unit cooked everybody. Um, They were awesome together. And by the way, not a great defensive duo. And I think that part of that is the international. You know, I don't think that that backcourt would work quite as well in the NBA relative to the international game where there are the defensive level isn't quite the same. But nonetheless, like they were awesome. Um, and so so that led to some a little bit more Halliburton hype, um, which was totally deserved. And alas, like he that first game, of the in-season tournament, like I, I watched it and the, the Pacers were they they were just Tyrese took his game up a level and he brought everybody with him and it stayed like that. And so that's that's the first thing. Now, this matchup, particularly with the Lakers. So last year, you guys remember the first time they played the Pacers? What happened? The the buzzer beater. The Nemhart. Oh, do I? The ne- yes. Yeah. And so that so that game happens. And then the Lakers go to Indiana um, a couple weeks later. And I, I just pulled up that box like so Russ in that game went two for 16 um, from the field. And. Now, and I didn't put like I didn't pull this to just to, to like crush Russ or anything, but the rest of the team shot really well uh, and, and played pretty well. But it, they finally Pete alluded to it like they get they get back into the game and it's basically the same team um, from that Indiana is starting, save for Obi Toppin. Um, who is now starting, but so they, they started Neesmith instead of Toppin. And then I think Nemhard start, yeah, Nemhard started at point guard, but so they, this was a this was a fun uh, back and forth game, and the Lakers end up outscoring them twenty eight to fifteen in the fourth quarter. But that key moment was Halliburton decides on the final play to to actually attack Anthony Davis. He gets a switch and he calls it to Davis, and he tries to cook him, and Davis just swats him. And I don't know that any other player in the league uh, can do that with Halliburton. I mean, maybe. Mobley, like maybe Jaron Jackson Jr., but we saw if, if you guys, I know you did, but if if, you, if everybody listening watched the game prior to the Lakers, the, the Bucks game, um, he it was Brooke Lopez that was in the drop most of the time. And Tyrese mm-hmm. kept finishing about an inch over Lopez's yep. contest. And Kevin yep. Harlan, in fact, made the made the joke um, 
Wait, was it Harlan? No, it wasn't Harlan. Who did the first? I think that was uh, Breen on the. Was that yeah, Breen or Brian Anderson? It was ESPN. So it was yeah. Breen. It was Breen, mm-hmm. uh, and Breen kept made the joke like if he didn't cut his fingernails, and then Reggie was like, "Well, how do you know he didn't <laughs> cut his fingernails?" And it was that close, but like that. There's to me, there's a big difference between AD and Lopez from a, a mobility standpoint, and I don't know that he's going to have that. That Halliburton's going to even want to attack AD as much. Um, in that context. So that to me is kind of the key to the whole game on on the one hand. The other one is just that like if LeBron comes out again like this and Indiana does the same thing that New Orleans does is like uh, who's who's trying to guard this too because they had Herb Jones. LeBron didn't even see Herb Jones and Herb Jones is awesome defensively. He was just like bodying him aside and barreling to the rim. So, uh, and pulling up for three. And so that on the one hand, offensively, I don't know what Indiana's solution is. Um, You know, Miles Turner's great and, and New Orleans didn't have a Miles Turner, but I'm more curious what you guys think about the screen role specifically with, with AD and with Halliburton and kind of how that plays out and what Indy's counters are to it. This is one of the uh, great, I think, philosophical questions that you can ask a coach is what is the – what level does the other guy have to be at to take you out of what you want to do? And so that's usually determined in-game. Like most coaches will start with the thing that if they had their preference, the team would play this way, D. But the great ones can take you out of it. And so how aggressive are we with a great ball handler, a great passer, a guy who's going to find open players – I still think, and again, this is, I am geared for this direction and you can have a lot of fix-its, right? That can lead to open shots and Indiana is really good at taking advantage of these. But I still think that, especially at this point of the season, we should be exploring like the limits of how good can we be at this pressing up type of style, this really long and rangy, like, do you put Cam on Halliburton as well, right? Like, what what does that look like? So what say you to that uh, that approach? How do you want to see us approach uh, defensively? I, I do think it's going to be Cam that's on him. Um, I will say, and then Vanderbilt the have a lot of, in- yes. So I will say this, the Pacers have a lot of ingredients that as good as the Lakers are defensively, this is going to be their biggest test. Like maybe even of the season. Turner's a stretch five. He is a pick and pop player. Halliburton is a master of changing speeds and of bringing his dribble back and shooting to step back. And so when you have a player who is as deceptive in terms of how he changes speeds and his biggest weapon offensively is the long three and the step back three, then you can create issues against pressure players because you can wrong foot them and back foot them in ways that are tricky to deal with and then the thing that we opened the pod with talking about the lakers pressuring up on ball handlers and then funneling them to anthony davis that gets trickier when the other team is playing a center that isn't going to be around the paint and is going to stretch the floor and is going to pick and pop rather than pick and dive the lakers are not going to find a bigger contrast in offensive approach in their opponent than the Pacers to the team that they just played in the Pelicans. And this is why it's also going to be a test for the Lakers, I think, is because what is then the range of their defense, Pete? And this is why I'm super interested in not only like the tactics that they deploy, but their success 
and their malleability within the tactics that that they do decide to use because the Pacers are going to stretch them out. They're going to shoot the ball with confidence and they're going to say, oh, you want to protect the paint? We may not even go there very often. What does that look like for you now as you try to scamper out to the perimeter and then we're not driving necessarily to score. We're driving to drive and kick, drive and kick. And now it's a wide open three for a corner shooter who we trust. And that sort of like we're the bully versus, well, we're the nifty roadrunner. What are you going to do about that? It's, it's like a great contrast in styles and styles make fights. And I think the Lakers have a lot to contend with this, but I'm interested to see the level that they can reach with this approach. Just two things to add to that. So Miles Turner, we think of him as a, certainly a stretch five, but he's made for the last four seasons exactly 1.5 threes per game. And he takes he takes four, right? So he shoots like somewhere in the somewhere between 33 and like 38, depending on the season. But so he it's like it seems like this key part of their their game and that screen roll attack, but he's not making and taking a huge volume um of them. And and so along those lines, Pete, I wonder. Do you have Anthony Davis try and kind of like do what he did with Lunch Eunice, who was more space to the corner more often and kind of recover? Or do you have like LeBron, you know, on Turner? Right. And then who does AD guard where he can be focused on still being in the drop, um, you know, once Halliburton is doing it? Like what's what's the best way to do that? So I think it's – if this is one of those games where we want to put AD on a guy that he can not really guard – from beyond the arc, I think it's more likely we put him on Toppin than we put him on Turner. Toppin, yeah, who's going to be in the corner, but also not a huge volume guy. Exactly, like he'll make a couple, but you're kind of like, okay, if he makes if he makes four, it's a problem, but if he makes two, whatever. Right, and so yeah, you can make the adjustment there. Whereas Turner is a guy that if you're just not guarding him beyond the three point line, he's going to take more than those four. He'll be happy to take eight, and he'll knock down a few of them. And so one guy within the context of that that's been really helpful in uh, previous games against stretch fives that have size is Rui. And so I think Rui is going to be a potentially key defensive part of tomorrow's game. So we've run a little long, so we got to go. We will be back on Monday to discuss the championship game in Vegas. Been a ton of fun. Uh, but until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Here by McLaughlin. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good. Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Jack with his eighth block an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, stick so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, two one. Listen. Unbelievable. It's over. And shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. 
That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.